0: Hello, it's Cornelius, and the time is one i I've had my lunch and did my meditation, so I'm recharged and revitalized, and I want to continue on with the chapters. The next chapter I will be reading will give insight into uh, what led to uh, me going into the doors of Alcoholic Anonymous. And that impetus. I call that chapter The Impetus to Change. I went down to the village on Christopher Street to party with the gay circus. I was dressed to kill, wearing my favorite African sheepskin top hat, my German leather hosens, fishnet stockings, and brown leather John Vorbedo shoes channeling African chic. I was enjoying myself as usual in usual bar time, bar tab fashion, clearly not counting the drinks I was consuming. I must have been on my fourth vodka cranberry when I drunkenly fell out of one bar and into the monsters. A bar gay hallmark in the heart of the village. It was a Monday when I walked in, the middle. Of, it was in the middle of a drag show performance. I was always a fan of a good broad show the music was thumping and i was in my own world dancing admiring myself in a mirror clearly not concerned about anyone around me the next thing i know i'm being hustled up the stairs by this 300 pound security guard i cannot exactly ascertain why i was put in a restraint and tossed out like a rag doll but it was not far from my mind that i was being racially discriminated against I put up no resistance because I was not in the business of fighting sumo wrestlers, nor was I in the right outfit. When I was out the bar, I headed toward the train station, but then turned back around to face the place that had just made me feel like I did not belong. Looking inside the bar, all I saw were a sea of white men clearly not caring what had just taken place, and I wanted revenge. Instead of turning around and walking to the train station, I ran toward the door, doing a kung fu kick mid-air and landing on my back. I nearly gave myself a concussion but managed to pick myself up and stumble to the train station. I was standing on the one train platform for nearly ten minutes when the train finally approached. I walked through the double doors, turned and sat down, and before my eyes stood three armed, uniformed NYPD officers ushering me out the car. I was too drunk to ask questions, so I followed their orders, putting up no resistance. They put me up against the wall, put my hands behind my back, and handcuffed me. I was led back up to the stairs, street level, where they threw me in their police car. I did not speak the whole time. I think I must have been in disbelief or shock considering the racial tension between black males and the cops occurring across the country. What would they do to me? Would I be the next Black Lives Matter victim? Was the arrest justified? I think I must have blacked out for a moment because I cannot, for the life of me, remember what transpired in the club to warrant my immediate arrest. After arriving at the precinct, they placed me in a holding cell, never asking me any questions, so I continued to remain quiet. They began stripping me of my personal belongings, even cutting the strings off my leather hosens, I assumed to prevent me from pulling them out and hanging myself by my fingers. After 20 minutes had passed and a bald-headed Latin male officer walked into the room and asked me if I knew why I was rested. I figured he was trying to be funny, so I ignored his question. Then something told me to start chanting nam and renge kyo so I started chanting. I looked up toward the ceiling and in a loud thunderous voice started chanting. I chanted for a good five minutes when the same Latin officer and a white male officer came into the room and unlocked the gate to let me out. They fingerprinted me while I chanted the entire time, hoping I appeared crazy enough so they would just let me go if I could not get the answers that I needed. Hell, what did they know? I could have been conjuring up a spell for all they knew. They released me without hassling me for further. I somehow made it home but later that morning i discovered that i was missing my driver's license i went back to the precinct to get it but they did not have it so i inquired into why i had been arrested and the officer on shift told me that it was disorderly conduct apparently some party goers complained that i was bothering them i did not remember talking to anyone the whole night less known bothering anyone i immediately started phoning lawyers because i had a court date to appear in court in four months time I desperately needed legal advice because the charge for disorderly conduct was jeopardizing my chances of getting into a field placement when I began my entry into the social work program at Ferguson University, which was also four months away. I desperately needed this hideous slander to disappear, but most importantly I needed to start looking at my drinking and possibly slow my drinking down a bit since it was now leading to legal problems. I went over repeatedly in my head how this could have happened to me. It seemed the devil was attacking me from every angle and the moment that I allowed the obstacles to succumb me was the moment that the devil deployed his evil servants to conduct guerrilla warfare to have their way. It is an unfortunate reality that is explained by Buddhist priests as cause and effect. Religious people attribute this phenomenon to a personal regression of self whereby inviting the spirit due to our own making. I think it is all the above. Why else would there be such a thing as mystical phenomenons. Obviously, I influenced this in some mirrored way, whether directly or indirectly. I was at a loss how I attracted this problem, but I attributed it to the past, present, and future karmic influences. It was too indicative of my past influence and wound me back in trouble with the law, so I reasoned it was karma hunting me. I know I was not managing my life very well, While I waited on my court appearance, I would seek inner strength by hashing out some of my fundamental darknesses. I was torn between hiring a lawyer who offered help for the hefty fee of $2,000, but I didn't have that kind of money laying around, so I decided to contact Veterans Affairs and make an appointment to see a social worker so I could explain my dilemma. This problem would not go away anytime soon. The least I could do was talk to someone and maybe go to Alcoholic Anonymous, a 12-step meeting to help me get stay sober. I was eventually signed to talk to a social worker named Mrs. Houston, who scheduled an appointment the following week. Therapy was something that I shy away from out of fear of exposing too much of my life to a stranger. But I thought once doubt, fear, and the effects of years of drinking was eradicated, I could face an internal darkness that I started attending Alcoholic Anonymous group meetings at Covenant Church in Harlem. While there, I heard stories from ex-alcoholics who went through exactly what I was going through. And this made me feel not alone in this fight. Some of the men had been following the program for over ten, even fifteen years. One guy said he had touched, a, he hadn't touched the in over twenty years, but he still referred to himself as an alcoholic. I could not understand wh- why he still identified with such a negative label. Maybe it helped him keep his life in perspective. But did applying negative labels to one's self unintentionally created self-fulfilling prophecy did the members of a who formerly abused drugs and alcohol measure their self-worth based on their unreasonable assessment of alcoholism i reasoned it was better to say i was a person that abused alcohol but i was definitely no alcoholic the difference carried different implications, which determined if the former alcoholic managed to create value after some relative time of being sober. Another reason I would never say that I'm an alcoholic was because it was unreasonably pigeonholed me in a victim state of mind. I saw myself as a person that lacked self-control over my drinking, and I needed to take the steps to learn how to have better control over that. I also saw this experience as a way of learning how to raise my self-esteem to a level where I did not need to abuse my body in that way. It was about how alcohol made me feel after I used. But if I am honest, it did not make me feel good at all. So it made sense to simply stop drinking. I could not have only one drink and feel satisfied and this concerned me. I could break this content, content down. And, understanding the alcohol triggering the chemical response in my body but I did not want to go through all of that I just wanted happiness I deserved to seek happiness by any means necessary and with this free will I would know what it is before I die what would be the point in doing anything to better myself if I cannot find and seek for myself this basic human right I have learned rules along the way so making the decision to go to AA was easy however admitting to myself had a disease in the mind was the emotional part i did not realize how deep in denial i was i called my mother and admitted to her about my drinking and she was surprised and claimed to be worried for me a small part of me did not want to accept that she was acting like a mother for once as the sentiment still lingered She said that she would call me back but i did not hear from her I believe she wanted to care, but her demons have made her stubbornly self absorbed and I realized that she can only care about herself at this point. I feel the only reason why she is worried about me is because her cash cow will dry up if something should happen to me, and it made me mad to think all I was to her was a cash cow. I cannot believe how Christian sh- comes off, how she shows disregard to her own son's alcohol problem. This attitude is entirely contradictory and foolish, but I know it's because she has lost contact with God while clinging to her religion. She relies on obi- ambitions by going to church on Sundays and somehow this thinks, she thinks this is good enough. How she is her own son does not register as important because her delusions tell her misguided morality is all she needs to get into heaven beliefs are self-created and never held up to the judgment light to be seriously scrutinized. Christians arrogantly believe simply reading the Bible is half the battle and the other half involves condemning others for not living up to it. It becomes an endless cycle of the blame game, but no one can say what life is about. Everything is left to chance and possibly white people. I did not know where all this AA stuff would lead me, but if I kept going to meetings, something would finally click, and I would feel normal before I ever felt the need to pick up a bottle. Since my arrest, I have not touched alcohol in 10 days, and for the first time in a long time, this morning, I turned on my computer and plugged in my USB to look at my memoir to check the progress that I had made on it. I stared blankly at the computer, reading and proofreading, editing, being productive for once in my time. My concentration lasted for about an hour or less, but it was a spark that gave me the sign that I was moving in the right direction. It was that little effort that I took that showed me that my mind is clear, and when my mind is clear from fog, life starts to happen. I've, over the years cultivated a strong desire to write but something has been blocking this path. The members at A, the first year, I should says that I, the first year I should concentrate only on sobriety and little to nothing else. A year from now, I'll be graduating from college with a bachelor's degree, and this will be a huge victory for me. If I could remain sober for a year, I know I can eradicate booze once and for all. The last long break that I had from drinking uh, was in 2009, during my deployment to Afghanistan. Since then, I've never had the willpower to abstain on my own, and find it hard to resist when the opportunity is there, which says something about my impulsivity. I never wanted to stop something enjoyable to me. You only live once and I was not about to waste my time forcing myself in rigid programs that brings dis-ease and the feeling of being trapped. That is suicide for the claustrophobic drinker that I was. I needed to feel free and the mere thought of abstaining did not sound like a freedom to me. It seemed more of a life of anguish and isolation that I was not prepared to suffer willingly. I did not suspect all the years of drinking had caused serious damage to my brain and cognitive state. My view of reality had been distorted and disoriented, but I desperately wanted to get out of this matrix and end this curse once and for all. I am reminded of a quote. Her overattention to appearances is merely the result of being forced to exist only as a reflection in the eyes of others. Learning to accept people's flaws has been the hardest lesson for me because I desire acceptance so much, I literally feel physically sick when people reject me but I fight through my insecurities despite of this because I know boldly facing this obstacle is how I learned to overcome it. But I have my days and on one particular day, I attempted to speak to a man at Starbucks who I thought was attractive. I wanted to see how having a normal encounter would play out, but not for so, not the sole purpose of getting his number or hooking up. I wanted to be nice and see where it would go. He looked at me with this constricted look on his face and rolled his eyes and when i went to extend my hand to say hi he looked at it and reluctantly returned a gesture i did not know how to react to this so i walked away feeling a little depressed i walked over to a nearby park and thought about my struggles with making friends i did not know how i got to the state where all uh, i seemed to attract is detest and negative responses from people it comes out of nowhere by my mere presence and I have reason that this could be either karmic related or the fact that every human in New York sucks, but I need to find a way to reconnect to my outside environment and integrate, reintegrate back in normal society. To be able to connect on a level not revolving around sex, drugs, clubs, and gossip. I needed to integrate with those individuals who do not see the world as primarily centered around those things and other self-created delusions that some gay men defend tooth and nail. The bubble of lies, deceit, manipulation, and predatory instincts predicated on the notion that we are men and men need sex. I had been going to the gym and my body was starting to change, but what was the point in getting sexy back if no one called back? Hell, I did not want myself today, but I cared enough to attend an AA meeting. I scrolled AA directory looking for an open meeting that I could attend and found a church in the neighborhood on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I knew the meeting was a predominantly white middle class group, so I had to be aware of the microaggressions, considering that I get the disgusted look from white people while walking on the streets. Maybe it was how they are wired. I would never know but all I had on my mind was staying sober and learning as much as I could by listening to the people's stories. I had a half an hour to spare before the meeting started, so I decided to stop into a nearby Starbucks between 94th and 95th Street. I waited in line, and as I stepped up to the counter to order, I was met with a peculiar scorn by the cashier, who was clearly gay. His entire demeanor changed, and he became instantly unfriendly and rude to me before I had a chance to order my drink. You know that strange feeling you get when you realize a high school friend you've met on the street is no longer a friend, but an acquaintance. And you can't wait to end the conversation to relieve yourself of the awkwardness of the interaction. That's the way I felt. (laughs) All I wanted to do was hurry up and pay this queen and go about my business. I did not return the rudeness, but I was very irritated with him. But I was firm when explaining to him that I read past his facade. I told him that I was not he was not equal to white people, but just a black guy working at Starbucks. Then I sat down and called corporate office and made a complaint in front of him. And I did not let this obstacle deter me from going to an AA meeting. While there, I listened to other prob- people's problems, though I had my own, but I quickly forgot about what had happened at Starbucks. These types of altercations triggered me to drink, and this character didn't make the urge any better. It's funny, when one tries to get sober, it seems you pack on the world of other people's problems. That kid was clearly suffering from self-hatred and did not care to realize his own prejudice toward me. And to make it worse, he was black and gay. If there was ever a moment when I wanted to die, this was the day, and that cashier set it off. AA meeting was predictably annoying just a bunch of veteran ex-alkies with no sense of other people's times or patience. Alcoholists love the ramble and they are constantly cons- they're never considered of the time limits when speaking which made me feel impatient oh, what a beautiful dog <laughs> I didn't get to speak again but you know what I realized God did not need me to say nothing at all, but only to listen and open my ears and receive the stories coming from other people because someone may be going through the same problem and could help me come out of my funk easier. It appears at times I am being dismissed or ignored in the meetings, but it may all be delusions in my head. I also got the feeling some of the members were not comfortable with gay people, so my problems are not real life issues. So the straight members pretend not to show empathy toward my grievances. Frankly, I do not go to AA's to feel accepted. I know God put me on this earth to learn from other people, but I must let go of the need to feel accepted and find a source of strength and power that will transcend this natural human need. At the close of the meeting, we gathered outside and I met up with a lady named Mary. A lady I previously met at a covenant meeting, she did not remember me, but I remembered her, and I told her how much she stood out to me, That and that I had kept the bookmark that she had passed to everyone celebrating her one year in recovery. I told her I was an Advent reader, and I looked at I look at it often for encouragement suddenly this cashier from Starbucks appeared out of nowhere wearing that same constricted nervous face but this time his lips was quivering but I was not in the mood to know what he wanted he uttered to me somberly that he apologized for what had happened I was glad he came to his senses because I was seconds from reaching for his neck and pulling him across the counter I did not want to waste too much time with this head job so I made some sarcastic remark about people being shitty in the city and that it was okay I did not mean it, it was not okay because it, people should not get a pass to behave so inhumanly and keep their jobs his manager must have had a word with him about the matter which was probably how he knew I was a few blocks away at that particular church because I uttered to the corporate manager on the phone that I was going to an AA meeting and he was agitating me to drink (laughs) Maybe he was a user, too, and had stumbled in there from time to time. But I figured it was the sign from God to test me by using another bitter gay guy to humiliate me in public, all for ordering coffee while black and gay. I felt like crap for the rest of the day and jumped on the bus feeling depressed, feeling AA wasn't working, but I knew I had to muster the courage to keep going because I didn't feel motivated to do anything else at all sitting on the bus with my head pressed against the glass window. I could feel the sad tears welling up in my eyes. I knew that this was withdrawal symptoms from alcohol or psychiatric symptoms caused by years of drinking. I had no idea what, what had been done to my brain. I thought irritably was temporary. I thought irritability was temporary and usually went away after the hangover subsided. But this mood would go well into the next day causing severe discomfort and anxiety. Who would have thought a year being out of the army I would be walking around like a zombie looking around the city for alcoholic anonymous meetings like a a crackhead trying to score his next high or in this case my next step. This is what alcohol has done to my life. I literally had seven dollars to my name. I was depressed and all I wanted to do was sleep. For weeks I have been attending AA and I have learned a lot about observing my emotional short fuse, the way I lose control and react intensely to the mildest provocation. This behavior involves fits of rage and escalates into interpersonal conflicts, which is what I, what I feel happened at the Monsters Club. Other emotions felt is included Is irritability, crying, panic, despondency, helplessness, and sadness All emotions I fluctuate between daily I did not know how to describe them because I was never in touch with my emotions Going to AA meetings, I was starting to see how people go through real life stuff Their stories were so raw and real, I could not help but cry and feel pity for them I never wanted to resort to AA, but I was lost without support I could not do it alone I have tried to relapse. I have tried, and I have relapsed, allowing myself to lose control. And now I cannot manage my own life. I have a heartless mother who wouldn't hesitate to take my last penny. An unsupported, despondent father who is too foolish to care. A psychologically enslaved and selfish sister that throws all her problems on others. No family support. No gay community. All my friends have walked out on my life. Her God was the only guy that I felt strongly about, and He uses me for what He can get. My finances are in ruins. I needed to literally relearn how to be normal citizen in society. The only thing that was giving me any zest and hope was my Buddhist practice. My selfish desires seemed to be purging and I was moving closer to valuing deeper connections and moving away from the fly-by hookups and whores on the gay apps. Yes, I still looked at men and I would be inclined to talking to them a few hotties, but why push it? Why go after the things that do not sustain my happiness? It's only temporary, and I must realize this. As I navigate my sexual identity, I must look beyond the physical beauty and look at what is on the inside. I must be realistic to the fact that a beautiful body should not translate into booty for me when, whatever I want to have, sex. Everyone suffers something, whether physical, emotional, behavioral, or psychological. People have their concepts formed in their tiny little head, and this justifies all sorts of injustices against humanity. Treating each other like commodities, objectifying each other for a quickie, is one injustice that affects all of us. We dismiss valuable connections simply because we are unwilling to lighten up our paralyzed minds set to be flexible, and be flexible, to allow love in. It is all in the mind and can be the only cause of our idiosyncratic, upside-down faculties and warped thinking. I had reached 13 days of sobriety, and I was already beginning to make acquaintances with strangers, something I had avoided before for fear of judgment. I no longer saw people as opposites, and I no longer pushed people away or felt threatened around them. I was realized that we are all Buddhas, and the possibility of getting out the state of hell and animality can only be achieved by having a pure heart. How can there be any offense against someone pure at heart? that truly desires to change and be integrated back into mainstream society. It may not seem big to think about, but feeling of inclusion, consideration, and acceptance feels amazing. Why would I go back to that nasty, hateful, spiteful, and jealous gay scene? A place I never feel appreciated unless I have been buying someone a drink or letting them grab my crotch. I feel at age 34, I can now focus on my goals and stay consistent. And I was starting to believe that I would be where I want to be in my life. I saw the bigger picture and my path was clearer because I was staying sober. I did not have doubt and fear tripping me up. I planned to cut the weed smoking next. But one thing at a time, taking it slow by not making major life decisions was crucial. And if I do not achieve nothing else, I know at least not to pick up and always show up to an AA meeting as much as possible. This seemed simple enough, but I know the challenge will arise, but I now have protection coming from every direction. Being emotionally healthy means I can experience the full gamut of human emotions, having the capacity to experience joy, Grief, exhilaration, and even disappointment Seeing all spectrums of emotions as an area of strength I wanted to be able to do this without emotionally blunting or talking In a detached manner about my traumatic experiences Some days are better than others But if one's needs, are not, if one's needs is not met It sets off a hailstorm of triggers Which ultimately lead to me wanting to drink On such trigger, it all started after contacting Dylan. A Serbian guy I met on occasion for sex, but he never takes me back, so I was not about to cry over spilled cum. I was frustrated for attention, so I threw on my clothes and contemplated leaving to go to a bar. I didn't want to drink, but I wanted to be around people, perhaps to meet someone and hook up. The idea seemed honest, but I could not keep still at the apartment. I tossed about in the apartment having panic attacks because I could not find my mace that I brought with me for protection. And I could not leave without it because I did not feel safe. Eventually, I said, forget it and left anyways. But I stopped midway to the train station. I turned back and texted a guy named Peter, whom I had met at an AA meeting. He told me that he... He told me that if I ever found myself in a bond and needed to vent or felt that I was going to drink to give him a call. I had no one else to call. I could have called family members, I could have called my brother, but he's an alcoholic himself, so he would not have anything enlightening to say. I was left with no other choice, so I called Peter to spill my guts out to him. Not knowing what his reaction would be, this seemed more dangerous than going to war without a bulletproof vest. Peter told me to keep my mind on God of my understanding and avoid people, places, and things. He also told me to write down things that I am grateful for. Apparently, it's part of the step work in AA. I wrote down 20 things that I felt I currently struggle with and viewed this as a gratitude. My list goes as follows. One, I throw my money away glorifying attractive men. Gratitude 2. I go to sex parties and hook up with random guys Gratitude 3. I think hateful thoughts about white, Asian, Latin, and black people Gratitude 4. I run into situations where I am provoked into rage and anger with strangers Gratitude 5. I wake up the next day after a night of binge drinking and I do not recall all that I have did Gratitude 6. I got arrested and charged with disorderly conduct Gratitude. 7. I purchase expensive clothes and I cannot afford gratitude. 8. I get into credit card debt and do not see a way out. Gratitude. 9. I am very intolerant and impatient with people and sometimes provoked to make remarks that offend, hurt, and anger people. Gratitude. 10. I feel sad, lonely, depressed, and frustrated with life. Gratitude. 11 gained weight and my skin breaks out making me feel unattractive gratitude 12. I black out in public waking up with my belongings stolen gratitude 13. I have unprotected sex with men that I meet off chat lines and then I go to health clinics checking for STDs on a monthly basis gratitude 14. I rationalize dysfunctional relationships and allow people to take advantage of my generosity gratitude Fifteen, I become hateful and mean, blaming others for my distress. Gratitude. I become, fifteen, I become hateful. Uh, Sixteen, I neglect friendships and family for months on end. Gratitude. Seventeen, I never do things that bring me pleasure anymore. I no longer journal or write my memoirs. I no longer laugh. Gratitude. Eighteen. I throw up and vomit in public. Gratitude. 19. I lost passion for life. Gratitude. 20. I have become my worst enemy. Gratitude. Only God knows how hard it is to break free from alcohol and weed, two substances I've used concurrently. Now it was the weed that I needed to take a break from. I did not know when I would be able to use again as I will soon be assigned to an internship position. I feel my life is slowly disassociating from all drugs. And on one hand, I am grateful, but on the other hand, it hurts like hell. I feel so detached from my body in those moments I need and and crave. However, I do, do feel completely the same as I used to. Maybe this was what this new birth Mrs. Priscilla, the Oracle, was referring to. A self annihilation from what I used to do to something else. I realized the trick was to keep myself busy at all costs. Never allow a moment where I may slip back into old habits. I thought I had turned out quite alright until I had run into, I had a run in with the law. Then I knew I was no different than the average vagabond and I needed to change. But change feels like I'm abandoning or cutting off a dead part of my flesh that no longer serves a purpose. Now I must make use of all the remaining limbs, assigning my individual tasks during the day. My feet are for walking, legs are for running, hands are for praying, eyes are for observing, ears are for hearing, tongues for speaking, all these functions may seem normal to a normal functioning person, but when, I, when you're under the influence, I do not use them for that purpose. I use my body in ways that satisfies the flesh and not the soul. Now, I must relearn what my organs are designed for, starting with my brain. I must learn to use it more effectively. And I pray that this higher power for grace. And I pray this higher power for grace and let God know that I am comfortable with not predicting the future or determining how the future will uh, wills to my liking being grateful gets us to the figurative nucleus of manifestation so if I have nothing else I am grateful being grateful for my flaws empowers and preserves me on a solid basis so when others betray me I won't be forced to go alone to get alone but rather find my own purpose in life by not obscuring my capacity for gratitude. And that is the final finale of that chapter. Thank you so much. You guys have a wonderful Sunday evening. And you will hear from me in the next segment. Ciao.